1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate that everything, simply everything you could possibly think of, has its own history, like meadows, sacks, and cod liver oil. I don't know where I get these from, Sam, but I think we should
0: do all of them, starting (laughs) with sacks. Yeah, yeah, sacks is a really good one. Sacks is all about Tudor England. Hmm.
1: Did you You're going that? to talk
0: about documents discovered in sacks. I Saturday, am. You? Yes, uh, oh. you've, I've probably talked about that before. Quite probably talked know. about that, or I could talk about pajamas, llamas, and the Bahamas, Karmas, <laughs> dramas,
1: <laughs> and farmers. Very any of any of those strike
0: you? Pajamas, llamas,
1: Bahamas, karmas, dramas, and farmers. I'd love to do pajamas—the history of what people wear to sleep. Yes. Oh, we one. should definitely do that. Yeah, I think, we've, I think done, we've done the history of sleep and the bed and dreams and nightmares. So pajamas is a natural. I think we've got. Uh, Th- I think Thomas Moore's nightcap
0: survives. Yeah. So we could do bedwear or something, mm. but call it pajamas and as yeah. a, a intriguing. Yes. However, for the moment, <laughs> we'll be following the links in our mind as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam? Who knew that the history of generosity is in fact all about the history of gift-giving and the change from Christmas being an adult affair to one being centred on the children and the family from the Victorian periods onwards. It's about Sam Willis's favourite psychological experiment, the Ultimatum Games. All it's of about it. King King Henry the and of England and Roman charity. It's also all about saving of lost literary treasures. Uh, think Austen, Scott. Burns and the collecting of Shakespeare texts by Henry Mm. Clay Folger and the foundation of the Folger Shakespeare Library in Washington, D.C. Who knew? Or who knew that the history of rats is in fact... Yes, of course, it's about infestation, pets and the medieval tale of the Pied Piper of Hamlin but it's also about the honored position of rats in eastern culture it's about the plague of course it is it's also all about society economy and culture and diary writing and that was one of our <laughs> that was one of our
1: homeschooling episodes the history of rats all about yeah. the black death Yeah, very good indeed. I was just, I was struggling to place that one. I couldn't remember it. You're all probably wondering who is telling you these informative, wonderful facts, let me just say of my fellow presenter, that if history were a sacred book, I I think history is a sacred book, James, Uh, this man would be the hand of affirmation placed upon that book in a gesture of resolution, as symbolic as the swearing in of an American president. He's the man who promises so much from the past and he delivers, a man from whom you can cash the historical checks that he writes, a man for whom resolution is not just a playword, he is Professor Extraordinaire of Early modern British History at Plymouth University. He is Professor James daybell. Hello and happy new year
0: we're We're doing this rather late because you've been you've been sort of ill, haven't you? I've been COVIDed. oh. Rotten luck. Um, but you may well be wondering who is that unattributed voice so ably and nobly, despite being on his deathbed, helping Dable co-pilot this very episode. Well, let's just say that if he were a resolution-related historian, he'd be making absolutely No resolutions at all. So perfect is he already at uncovering the truth about the past. So scrupulous is he in attending only to the facts and nothing but the facts. So judicious is he in sifting the evidence. There's not one iota of partiality in his judgment. The man's a veritable walking, history-making machine. It's the famous historical adventurer himself, Dr.
1: Sam Willis. The, The famous and the ill one. Hello, everyone. Um... Yes, I resolve never to get COVID again, if I can possibly avoid it. You know, however many jabs and boosters I've had didn't stop me getting it, and I've been ill for a fortnight. Horrendous. And we were
0: supposed to be doing this uh, a long, long time ago, but um, nevertheless, Happy New Year, everyone. This was a sort of New Year's um, resolution-inspired podcast. And do you know what? I was doing a little bit of New Year's spring cleaning, if one can do such a thing. New Year's cleaning... And I was going through all of my paraphernalia in my study, which was an absolute mess, and it's now neatly ordered. But I was going through my bottom drawer, which was full of these lovely little black notebooks that I use. And I was was actually trying to free up space, so I was throwing several of them out, and, and I've got it down to, I think, three... Remain, and they're ones full of all sorts of manuscript notes from the british library and in the two thousand and five <laughs> notebook, I chanced upon a little um slip of paper that had. James's New Year's resolutions 2005. No oh, lovely on it. And I had seven things that I wanted to do that year and that's that, a lot James. Give you a bit of give you a bit of context. <laughs> I was living in America at the time in the middle of nowhere in Michigan uh, surrounded by snow, and I wanted to. I wanted to come home,
1: ah, <laughs> and get, get a job at home. Uh, was that uh, that one?
0: wasn't one of them. But the um, but the first thing was finish Oxford University Press book, which I <laughs> duly did. The second was read more novels in evenings. The third was play tennis lots. <laughs> Fourth mm. was cook new dishes, which is something that I still put on my new year's resolution list every year the fifth That's was the fifth was drink new wines yeah. <laughs> the, the sixth was listen to opera more and the seventh um was
1: charitable giving <laughs> i know who'd have thunk it well done uh, they're, they're uh, amazing. I, lo- I love the fact that you have a resolution thing which is always the same yes Yes. Does Does that mean you fail on it or you need to remind yourself to carry on doing
0: it? I, I, no, I need to remind myself to come carry on doing it. I, my newest oh, resolutions this year are I need to walk 10,000 steps at least every day. Okay. Uh, I need to read lots because I, I get very uncomfortable when I don't read a lot uh, and quit drinking uh, dry January and uh, cook at least three new recipes a week. Wow. Which I've done. I've done all of that so far. My, my average step count is 12,500 steps, Sam Willis. Huh.
1: interesting. I
0: I'm, going to, I'm going to give up washing and drink more. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> That sounds very good. You mean uh, bathing or, or just doing uh, the laundry? Bathing, I think. I'm bathing. Just, I'm, going
1: to no. not, I'm going to not wash myself and I'm going to drink more alcohol. That's my <laughs> that's my goal. You're, you're in uh, fact,
0: going to turn into a tramp. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Not that we have anything against tramps who are no, some, no, some no, of no, the most intelligent not. and gifted historians out there. Yes, absolutely. Um, However, the point we're making here, I think, sort of subliminally, is that um, unless you're James and your resolutions are always the same when it comes to food, uh, resolutions do and can change over time and i don't just mean personal resolutions here i mean um the, the, the way that you are uh, affected by uh, the society in which you live i found a list of resolutions from 1947 this is a a, a general list and i was surprised at how um uh, kind of i'm well, not surprised it'd, it'd be interesting to see what you think of this james um improve my disposition be more understanding control my temper improve my character Live a better life, stop smoking, smoke less, save more money, stop drinking, drink less, be more religious, go to church oftener, be more efficient, do a better job, take better care of my health, take greater part in home life, lose or in some cases gain weight. Um, this is an interesting list, isn't it? 1947. I'd say there are some fairly glaring omissions uh, there, one of which is... is, is um, Probably World War Two related, and to stop trying to kill each other or take over the world. Um, what did you think of that list, James? Not surprising or surprising?
0: Uh, I mean, the the gain more weight uh, struck me as you know, interesting. Weird, interesting. Whether do do we know who the list uh, belonged to? No, um, no, we don't know very much about this list at all. Because I'm imagining um, you're sort of poor nutrition, post-war rationing still in place. If it's a you know, British, British list. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I could recognise many of those things with uh, possibly with the exception of gaining more weight.
1: Um,
0: mm. uh, admirable. <laughs> I'm going to add that to my list. Yeah.
1: Wash, wash less, drink more and put on weight. Put on weight. Um, Quit smoking. Yeah, but, <laughs> um, I, yeah, the, the smoking thing's interesting. So I'm, I'm assuming I literally don't know what I'm talking about here, but I'm assuming fewer people smoke today than did in 1947, which means stop smoking is going to appear less regularly on people's list as time goes on uh, presumably yeah. I, although
0: I bet it would depend which part of the world you're in I imagine lots of parts of the world uh, for example China I think people
1: still smoke an extraordinary amount don't they they do they smoke in lifts and in swimming pools those are the two places where I've always been quite astonished that the Chinese can smoke they like stand around in a in a, a the shallow end of a public swimming pool smoking or Gosh. in a lift, where they just kind of get in with you, uh, which are the two things I found uh, quite extraordinary when I spent all of my time in China. Um, so, anyway, I think a general point to be, to make, just to start at the beginning of this episode, is that um, there has to be a, um, a fascinating history of resolutions in terms of where they're made, who's made them, and how that has changed over time.
0: Yes, I think that's very. Do you make
1: Do you make resolutions? No, you don't. I'm um, no, and no, I never have done. Uh, uh, I don't know why I don't. Um, I think it's probably because of a a subconscious acceptance that I will fail in any resolution I make, therefore I won't bother. Yeah. Um, which is another interesting point about resolutions, because actually it's all to do with control. And um, one of the interesting things about about the way that's understood in time is often the relationship between human willpower and and. Uh, there being a higher presence so it's to do with who's actually control of people's lives and how perception of that has changed and who's responsible for them and how people are actually able to control themselves I mean I know if I say I'm not going to drink very more within two weeks I made a resolution with Jamie who's uh, hello Jamie who's um the editorial whiz behind this podcast and I, we said we were going to have three weeks off drinking we were just going to have a break and within an hour and a half I was at the I was at the rugby I went to watch the Chiefs play Harlequins and I'd completely I'd had four pints of Guinness completely forgotten. With Jamie? <laughs> and it was, uh, no, 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 not with, not with Jamie. But the, um, uh, yeah, so I mean, it was, I, I'd, I'd very firmly made the resolution, but it just literally kind of just didn't sort of fit into my, my head. There, there's, a, there's a
0: letter by Mark Twain from the 1860s where he makes a New Year's resolution. Um, Yesterday, everybody smoked his last cigar, took his last drink and swore his last oath. He wrote on the 1st of January, 1863. Today, we are a pious and exemplary community. 30 days from now, we shall have cast our reformation to the winds and gone to cutting our ancient shortcomings considerably shorter than ever. We shall also reflect pleasantly upon how we did the same old thing last year about this (laughs) time. So the idea... (laughs) New Year's resolutions have this sort of interesting history that you can trace all the way back to the Babylonians, to the Greeks, to the Romans. Um, But and there is, it is a tradition. But I think there, for me, there is something in it. Um, And there is actually a history of New Year's resolutions and testing whether people have actually kept to them. There's a a recent YouGov survey said that 35% of people who made resolutions, managed to stick to all their goals and that 50% of people managed to keep some of their resolutions. Apparently in in America, 45% of Americans say they usually make New Year's resolution goals. And there's a study uh, by a scholar called Per Karlbring at Stockholm University in Sweden where they tracked in 2017 the progress of... 1,066 people who made New Year's resolutions and they either there was it was quite interesting they were either they made two types of resolution there were those avoidance goals in other words uh, people quitting alcohol washing you know the kinds of things that you want to do <laughs> giving up social media which is actually one of the things that I have done over this year is do far less social media um, and, and the others are at what is described as approach goals so that's actually things—not that you want to give up, but things that you want to do more of. So, the, in my list, it was it was opera, drinking new wines, and that kind of. But it's taking it's taking up hobbies, and yeah. it's much more likely that people um, failed at giving things up, so the abstinence kind of things, and were much more successful in taking on new things. So they were much more keen on ta- building new exercise, doing new things that they you know felt would be beneficial for their lives
1: yeah it's interesting that the um so many of it is much of it is to do with self-discipline and abstention and i found it was a lot of fascinating stuff about protestantism and uh being able to control yourself and what marked a kind of a good protestant someone yes. with a high degree of emotional control i'll talk about that in a minute but it you can't really talk about self-discipline and abstention without talking about forms of indulgence and um, i read a really interesting article actually um, recently in the paper, which wasn 't actually about new year's resolution so much, but it was about um about excess during christmas and obviously that has a relationship with what happens in the new year but they were campaigning for long christmas which is rather like long covid it just doesn't go away so you just carry on um eating and drinking and um socializing at the same rate that you did during the final weeks of december into january so you do the opposite of dry january long christmas james so it's like sort of hair of the dog Kind of yes. things. No, and yeah.
0: uh, New Year. I mean, I think that that's great. I mean, a New Year's Eve itself is supposed to be is this time of merriment and drunken raucous celebration. This year, we had a spectacular Mexican feast of twelve people sleeping over. The you know, it was extraordinary. But you know, this isn't actually <laughs> everyone's cup of tea. And it's interesting that you talk about the religious aspect of this. But it's there. There, there has been a history of of actually distancing oneself from that kind of frivolity and you think of somebody like John Wesley who's the founder Mm. of Methodism um, who thought that you know people should should celebrate the turning of the year and in 1740 as an antidote to this debauchery he instituted something called night watch services which were also known as Covenant Renewal Services. And we wrote a little bit about this in a BBC History magazine piece uh, a few years ago. And these were to be held on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. And these took off, you know, and among Christians, this time of year was commonly a period for reflection Uh, for looking back at how one had lived one's life in the previous 12 months and resolving, and here's the resolution bit, to do better going forward. And this new service that was brought in allowed Methodists to do this in a more structured way, with participants getting together and singing hymns and reading from scriptures. So much so that in 1870, James Ewing Ritchie wrote in a book called The Religious Life of London he noted of the Methodists, in the institution of the watch night, it boldly struck out a new path for itself. In publicly setting apart the last fleeting moments of the old year and the first of the new to penitence and special prayer and stirring appeal and fresh resolve, it has set an example which other sects are preparing to follow. And so it's it's the one of the extraordinary things is the popularity of the watch night service which we see starting with methodists and spreading among the evangelical churches and these night watch services are commonplace throughout the united states particularly among african-american congregations today so there we are um a particular kind of religious uh, resolution here's a cool fact
1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, I've got a couple of things to say. That the um I actually came across John Wesley's diary in the research of this. And um I think he mentions the word resolution 66 times in his diary. And if oh. you if you want to read an eye-opening diary that that is a uh, kind of encapsulates the evangelism and Methodism of the mid-18th century. Wesley's diary is just fantastic. As a little excerpt here. What a contrast between the daily life of 1726 and that of 1739. At root, we see a better sort of country parson in times degenerate. He is far removed from George Herbert in the church porch and, on the other hand, from William Grimshaw, the Methodist rector of Haworth. But on the whole, he is making progress towards and is being prepared for the great ministry of the future. He is gentlemanly refined, familiar with the best literature of the day, a congenial companion to some extent worldly, yet standing absolutely clear of grossness, though not of what he so frequently calls levity. Not exempt from temptation, but buffeting his body and bringing himself under the iron rule of law and resolution. All the while, he honestly strives to be a Christian disciple and Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile and his (laughs) the rest of his his diary is absolutely fantastic there's a there's an entire section in code James which uh, being a historian of codes uh, you'd be interested in um, uh, this is dated in 1725 and he's talking about breaching of vows and um the careless fixing days of mortification, um, how he's greedy of praise, um, he's idle, peevish, um, intemperate in sleep, sins of thought, hence useless. Uh, unsinful anger. He talks about how he's breached a promise, dissimulation, lying, rash censures, disrespect of governors, desire to seem better than I am. It's a wonderful um, window into what's actually going on in this guy's head. And then at the end of all of this, he writes some resolutions, resolution to fast every Wednesday in a month. So, um, you know, that that tells you that his belief that, you know, how to to cope with sins of thought and, and having pride, and being greedy of praise um, that he thinks the uh, the uh, solution would be uh, to, to not eat once a month. Um, he actually writes in the front of the diary, you should try and find it, James, you'd be interested, but because it's written with exquisite care, uh, incredibly patient, uh, incredibly clear, three entire sets of rules and regulations um, uh, about how to... How to how to operate? How to how to live the life that he wants to live? Um, and not only does he have these sets of rules and resolutions, but constantly throughout the diary, he adds more and more. Often, um, very simple ones here: a resolution, um, never to laugh or talk idly in the church um because he's worried about his irreverent behavior at church um uh, he's worried that he loves women more than god um and so his re- his resolution is never to let sleep or company hinder me from going to prayers so um i i read this di- diary or bits of it and i felt profoundly sorry for this bloke mm-hmm. um, and uh just I mean, wow, just just so beating himself up all the time for for his human impulses. And uh, (laughs) yeah, I was I was really quite shocked. And and then you think about the immense power that this guy had and um, how how he he convinced so many, many, many people that this was the way to live a life. Well, that's absolutely fascinating, Sam. I, I think we should all
0: live our lives according to Wesley's uh, upstanding uh, <laughs> example. Now, I, I mean, this got me thinking not only about resolutions, but also about about New Year. And, you know, um, for many, or for the Victorians, New Year was all about failure. So the beginning of the New Year. But this is related to resolutions. It's a time to take stock, to look back at the old year and for individuals to review more or less carefully and impartially the history of the past year as it concerns themselves and to remember their mistakes and their regrets. So for the Victorians, this was a, a very introspective look at one's recent past, in a, very much in a sort of Scrooge-like fashion. And it was accompanied by resolutions of amendment and promises of avoiding habits and customs that have been injurious. Yet despite all of these good intentions, such high-minded notions were usually fleeting and doomed to failure, something that was recognised during the Victorian period. Um, for example, an editorial in the Worcester Journal of the 6th of January 1880 83 stated it unfortunately happens that new year's day resolutions are often of the most transitory kind and they pass away almost with the mists of the morning on which they are formed The editorial offers the idea it would be better not to make any resolutions for, and I quote, there is nothing so destructive of self-respect as the abandonment of purposes for self-discipline, which had been deliberately formed and openly avowed. And the other thing that springs to mind is also the degree of paranoia and superstition Uh, that people (laughs) held the new year. And this is absolutely fascinating because I think for millennia, um, the new year is seen as, of course, it's one of those sort of starts to to, uh, a new calendrical year. And it's also associated with divination, so with the future. And, you know, if you think about medieval times, early modern times, you know, people were reliant upon the weather and the climate for their own health and welfare but also for harvests and there was a degree of uncertainty and fear around this which led to all kinds of folk traditions around New Year as people sought to influence their fortunes in the coming year by controlling their behaviour in the present. So a long established English folk tradition maintains that what is done on New Year's Day will be done all the year so for instance in the west country in 1926 um, a power of superstition superstitious belief was demonstrated when labourers refused to work on new year's day lest it should result in hard work all the year long similarly in devon our native county pea soup was only ever made with whole peas on new year's day and not split peas as split peas get this would split the luck for the coming year and there were all sorts of other uh, customs and superstitions uh, that people had the history of polperro in 1871, recorded, the character of the coming 12 months for good or bad fortune is foretold by the appearance of things on the morning of the new year, a trivial mishap or the slightest instance of good luck, now more than its usual significance, in so much as it predicts in a general way the course of events for the coming of the year. And one of the ways in which you can glimpse this is by looking at the practice of People to dip into the Bible for guidance, either on late New Year's Eve or first thing on New Year's morning. And There's an extract in Folk, the Folklore Journal from 1886, which reported, Parties are general in Cornwall on New Year's Eve to watch in the new year and wish friends health and happiness. But I know of no peculiar customs except... But before retiring to rest, the old women opened their Bibles at haphazard to find out their luck for the coming year. Uh, The text on which the forefinger of the right hand rested was supposed to foretell the future. Uh, There's also something about jumping beans. Beans put around a fire, and dependent on which way the beans flipped... Uh, would determine faith. There's a medieval tradition about throwing shoes over the rafters as a sign of good or ill luck. Uh, quite what that means, we don't really know, but nonetheless, there are records about that. Um, so there we are, Sam. Some New Year's uh, facts and and frivolities.
1: Yeah, wonderful. I'm just going to end with um, the, the 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 way that resolutions are such. Uh, A powerful fuel for satirists with classic example of people promising to do something and then doing something else. Um, The the political um, uh, implications of this uh, are are huge and uh, there's a wonderful example here resolutions for the year of 1802 and this is from Walker's Hibernian magazine and it is a tongue-in-cheek Uh, Letter written to the editor about how everyone is going to change the way that they behave. Written, as I say, in 1802. Mr. Editor, I have to inform you upon what authority I shall not specify that you may save yourself a great deal of trouble and your readers the fatigue of perusing solemn admonitions which are unnecessary because the following personages have begun the year with a string of resolutions which they all solemnly pledge to keep and which, if kept, you must allow will render it quite superfluous for you to continue your admonitions any longer. He then lists a number of people. Uh, Members of Parliament have resolved never to speak but to the purpose, which some think will shorten the debates very considerably. The clergy are resolved to reside on their living, to apply themselves sedulously to the duties of their sacred profession, and to win back from the Methodists all the stray sheep who have wandered for want of a shepherd the lawyers are resolved to encourage no causes that can be adjusted by arbitration to encourage no litigation about trifles to stick close to the subject in their pleading not to browbeat the witness and to give every encouragement to the bench in checking the alarming growth of licentiousness among the upper ranks the physicians have determined to follow nature in her operations and to prescribe no more than is necessary and to be very moderate in their fees People of fashion are resolved to discourage all games of chance that are played for higher sums than sixpence each per game or rubber or pool, and this it is supposed will make a considerable difference in the incomes of some of the first families of the kingdom and He ends citizens and citizens' wives are resolved no longer to ape fashions and manners which fit awkwardly on their persons and more awkwardly on their purses, which is done with the kind view of lessening the whereases in the Gazette. So there well, you are, James. A lovely long list of um, of satirical uh, resolutions for your enjoyment, guys. I hope you've very much enjoyed our history of resolutions. We've got so much more coming. you this year I don't think I need to make a resolution to say there's going to be lots of interesting stuff coming because as always there will be interesting material coming from the great histories of the unexpected to find out more do please follow me on social media I'm at dr sam willis and if you're interested in the history of the sea please check out my other podcast the mariners mirror podcast yes make a
0: resolution to do that and you can follow (laughs) me on twitter at james stable you can follow the podcast at unexpected pod we are also all over social media You can friend us on Facebook. You can check us out on Instagram. You can check out our all singing, all dancing website, historiesoftheunexpected.com for our back catalogue. And should you wish to be a patron, head over to patreon.com where you can support all that we are doing in order to change the way in which people think about history. And also, should you wish a signed copy of any of our books, our big book, histories of the unexpected, or our smaller volumes on the Vikings, the Romans, the (laughs) Tudors and World War II, you can hit us up on our website, email us and you can buy signed copies of our books for the new year. Wonderful stuff, guys. We'll be back again soon. Cheerio. Bye, guys, and happy new year if it's not too late.